in the life of a Unitarian Universalist congregation, there are those who are deeply familiar with the architecture of our faith, and there are those who are learning. My sermon today touches on the sources of our Unitarian Universalist tradition, so before I begin, we should make sure everyone knows what they are. The living tradition which we share draws from many sources. Direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder, affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. Words and deeds of prophetic people which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. Wisdom from the world's religions, which inspires us in our ethical and spiritual life. Jewish and Christian teachings, which call upon us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbors as ourselves. Humanist teachings, which counsel us to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science and warn us against the idolatries of the mind and spirit. And spiritual teachings of earth-centered traditions which celebrate the sacred circle of life and instruct us to live in harmony with the rhythms of nature. And these are the formal sources of our faith, the font of wisdoms from which we drink. And each one of them is worth a hundred sermons, Today, I can only preach one sermon, so I want to explore a little around and beyond these six. As you may know, over the last 60 years, Unitarian Universalism has become more and more the faith path of two types of people. The first, those who are leaving some other religious tradition due to injury or disagreement of some kind with their former faith. We call these folks come-outers. The other large and increasingly predominant group is those who have never been churched, whose experience of the world has inclined them toward our particular perspective. And we call these folks nuns. That's N-O-N-E-S. <laughs> Especially given the latter fact, it's curious that we seem to think that people will know what to do or what to expect when they begin coming to church. Walking in the door of a church on Sunday morning is a long way from being a member of a church community and equally being a church which attracts a decent amount of attendance on a Sunday morning is a far cry from being an effective, active, living community of shared faith. This morning I want to speak to what church life can be like if it is healthy and vibrant if it seeks to be the bedrock of its members' ethical and spiritual lives. One of my most beloved Unitarian prophets is James Luther Adams. His ministry was transformational. Of course, it was forged in the fires of watching Germany's religious communities fail to effectively resist Nazism. In one of his best-known pieces, A Faith of the Free, A Faith for the Free, he says, the free person's faith is not merely a faith in oneself. It is a faith in the capacity of sincere persons to find freely together that which is worthy of confidence. 
One tenet of the free person's faith is that the achievement of freedom in community requires the power of organization and the organization of power. The free person will be unfree if their faith does not assume form in both word and deed. The commanding, transforming reality is shaping power. When it works through persons, it shapes a community of justice and love. One of the most distinguished religious educators of any time, Maria Harris, offered a framework for what the life of a congregation should include. In her view, all people are called to what she calls a pastoral vocation. Inside this pastoral vocation are three key ways of responding to the world, the priestly, the prophetic, and the political. In her work, Fashion Me a People, she puts it this way, as a priestly people, we are called to hallowing, blessing, and remembering, and to the works of teaching, prayer, and preserving traditions. As a prophetic people, we are called to speak the word of justice and to embody God's pathos. As a political people, we are called first to shape and design our own polity, our ways of being together, and then we are called to bring the institutions and systems of our world into account so they too are enabling and empowering for this planet. Now we have to constantly consider the ways in which All Souls institutes and integrates these three functions that are so critical to the faithful life, that priestly, the prophetic, the political. Together, I hope it will become abundantly clear how we might best enter into a deeper relationship, each of us, with our own sense of integrity and moral authority, but also become more committed to our communal faith relationships for to repeat, James Luther Adams, the free person's faith is not merely faith in oneself. It's a faith in the capacity of sincere persons to find freely together that which is worthy of confidence. And that, my friends, is what Unitarian Universalism is all about. The priestly functions of a religious community include that hallowing, blessing, remembering the works of teaching and prayer, of course, this is what most people think of as the traditional work of church. Sunday morning services or special worship services fall into this category. And of course, so do our religious education classes, whether they're for children, but also those provided for our adults. And it also includes those smaller inter-church fellowships, such as the meditation group or our connection circles. They're all a part of that work. And when we light our chalice, dedicate a child, or remember the dead. These, too, are our priestly works. The music that uplifts us, the poetry that sustains us, the silent and spoken prayers, all of these fulfill the priestly function. The second critical function of a faith community is the prophetic one. We're called to speak the word of justice and embody God's pathos, and this can take on many forms. Some people see the preaching that Galen and I do from this pulpit or our work in the community as chief among the ways we together, quote, explore the word of justice. But Galen and I are scarcely the church. 
As individuals, many, many of us are engaged and active in confronting the powers and principalities of the world. But we have to ask again and again, what would it mean to be a body of people known for our prophecy? Take, for example, our identity as a welcoming congregation, where we don't just passively accept, but fully welcome and celebrate the bisexual, lesbian, gay, transgender, questioning, and other members of our community. We try to create a fellowship that creates and celebrates wholeness. And our efforts to dismantle racism within our congregation, within the community at large, these are forms of prophetic statement. It's worthy. It's visionary. Yet every day we see how hard-won rights can quickly be eroded, which is why our prophetic voice can never be quiet. The degree to which we show up and share our voices thoughtfully, bravely, wisely, that is the degree to which we make pertinent our own prophetic voices in the life of the community to which we belong. And last but not least, is the third function of a pastoral community, which is to consider that as a political people, we are called first to shape and design our own polity, our ways of being together. Now, I get excited about polity. Some people find this very dry, but we have to consider that issues of polity are not peripheral to Unitarian Universalism. They are integral. As a faith tradition, with congregational polity. It is part of our identity that we, the people here in this room and the active members of this community who are not present today, we are structurally the formal authority over ourselves. We decide what we will do together and how it will be done. We're held together by covenant and polity, which is to say, by love and commitment. Alongside this is our covenantal relationship with all the other congregations of people who identify as Unitarian Universalists, and then to draw on the power of shared resources through the body of the Unitarian Universalist Association. All of these pieces of the puzzle are deeply important. To understand ourselves as having both authority over ourselves and responsibility to each other here in the immediate, and celebrating and mining the rich opportunities that come from freely associating and covenanting with the other Unitarian Universalist congregations. That's not just helpful in terms of identity. It informs our engagement with the world. For those of you who were at our recent um, climate justice uh, work here and when we did it with um, Susan Frederick Gray, you'll see very actively what that means. Now, into all of this, we have not spoken directly of God or the faith in that greater love and spirit which transcends the individual and which can transform us. As Unitarian Universalists, we don't dictate the path that any travel to meet that great love, but it is our spiritual practice to companion and encourage and to share our stories with open hearts and open minds. As Forest Church wrote so memorably, our faith is not dictated to us, but might instead be thought of as the cathedral of the world. Welcome to the cathedral of the world. Above all else, contemplate the windows. 
In the cathedral of the world, there are windows beyond number, some long forgotten, covered with many patinas of dust, others revered by millions, the most sacred of shrines. Each, in its own way, is beautiful. Some are abstract, others representational, some dark and meditative, others bright and dazzling. Each tells a story about the creation of the world, the meaning of history, the purpose of life, the nature of humankind, the mystery of death. The windows of the cathedral are where the light shines through. As with all extended met metaphors for meaning, this one is imperfect. The light of God, or truth, or being itself, call it what you will, shines not only upon us, but out from within us as well. Together with the windows, we are part of the cathedral, not apart from it. Together we comprise an interdependent web of being. The cathedral is constructed out of star stuff, and so are we. We are that part, that known part of the creation that contemplates itself, part of the poem that we ponder. Because the cathedral is so vast, our life so short, and our vision so dim, we are able to contemplate only a tiny part of the cathedral, explore a few apses, reflect upon the play of light and darkness through a few of its myriad windows. Yet since the whole, holographically or organically, is contained in each of the parts, as we ponder and act on the insight from our ruminations, we may discover insights that will invest our days with meaning and our lives with purpose. The sources of our faith our relationships with one another, with other UUs, with the world, are defined by the priestly, prophetic, and political elements of our faith. We must worship, find meaning, care for and celebrate together as a priestly people. We must find our voices, determine our values, and center ourselves in justice-making as a prophetic people. And as a political people, as Maria Harris said, we are called to bring the institutions and systems of our world into account so they too are enabling and empowering for life on this planet. And we must seek the light that comes to us through the windows of the cathedral of the world and out from within us and center ourselves in the life-saving gratitude of which Galen speaks so often. When we hunger to know what is good and right in this world, the six sources of our Unitarian Universalist faith provide insight and some guidance. When we come together, we're crafting a living tradition which can free hearts and minds or create new cages and harm the vulnerable. In our coming together and in our going forth, may we be worthy inheritors and loving stewards of this faith of the free. Amen.